So we are continuing our series in the book of Acts. If you'd like a Bible, put your hand in the air and Usher will gladly bring you one. We are in Acts three seventeen to 26. We are finishing up this chapter. What do you think of the title? Doesn't that sound good? Times of Refreshing. Doesn't that sound nice? Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent, then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, All the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days, and you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, Through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. So this is the final section of Peter's speech to the people after he had healed this paralyzed man which we talked about a couple weeks ago. The final section. And I just can't help but think to myself, what an amazing advantage Peter has over another preacher like myself. When I preach sermons, I am very aware that people are listening, looking for what kind of point I'm trying to make, right? We listen to a sermon, and we wait for the point to come out so we can understand what is being said overall. Well, with Peter... His point was made before he preached. This person who was paralyzed, who everyone knew, everyone had walked by many times, he was a very a common sight in the temple, this paralyzed man had been healed in front of everybody, and they were like, how did this happen? This is amazing. And so Peter's job was not to make the, the point, his job was actually just to explain how it happened and what people were to do in response. An amazing advantage. So I think today we need to have a volunteer come up and we'll do some, a miracle and then I'll explain the sermon. But you know, that, that actually could happen, I'm sure. But I'm not Benny Hinn, so I can't really uh, pull it off as well. So I'm not going to do the same thing exactly, but I am going to share with you the points from the sermon in case you need to go home right now. Uh, and I'm going to share with you the points and then we're going to go back and look at what, uh, what they mean. So the first point of today's sermon is this. Today is the day to repent of your sin. Not tomorrow, not when you have it all together, which is a tendency of Christians. When I clean myself up, then I will turn to God. Today is the day to repent from sin. You just can't figure it out on your own. And you need to be saved by Jesus before you can figure it out. That's the truth. That's how faith works. We have to come to Jesus in faith before we can really turn around. Today, when you repent of your sins, it will be wiped away. 
How timely was Alan's word this morning for us? Unbelievable. You can't plan this stuff. In fact, we did not plan that at all. But today, when you repent from your sin, it will be wiped away by the Lord Jesus Christ completely. Today, when you repent of your sin, times of refreshing will come from the Lord. That's what the Bible says today. So as you wholeheartedly turn towards God, and you turn away from sin, God will send times of refreshing to you. If you ignore the invitation to repent and turn from your sin, you have no hope. There is no hope apart from Jesus Christ. God is not unduly harsh with us. He isn't. We're simply very stubborn, and we refuse the solution God presents through himself in Jesus Christ. And, if, and we demand of God that he make another way for us to, to get right with him, that we don't have to go through Jesus. In fact, the cross and what it represents, the forgiveness of sins, is considered foolishness by the world. It's considered um, insulting to them in some ways, that they would have to say, I need help. I need the cross. Um, but that is the way that God's provided for us to come to him through Jesus. And if we don't take the one way that God's provided... There is no hope. And this passage says, if we do not heed God's call to turn towards the truth, turn towards Jesus, to repent of our sins, then there is no hope. The fifth point. God wants to use your life to bless others in this world with his good news. But before he can do that, he needs to bless you by turning you around towards him. So that's the message for today. So if you're on a time crunch you can go. But the streets are still pretty bad, so I'd stay here. An author I really enjoy reading wrote a story about a very long hike that he and some friends were on. It's a story I could really identify with. Who here is a hiker or has hiked? Who hates hiking? Jeff. So if you've hiked... I always, I always say, I was telling Pastor Corey, because we, we hiked Mount Marcy a couple months ago, I was telling him, the greatest business plan I can think of is putting an EMS stand halfway up a mountain in the winter, because you would give any amount of money to buy the spiked things for your shoes when you're climbing up an ice wall. I think that's a great business plan. Equally, in the summer, I'd go three-quarters of the way up a mountain and set up a, a, a water station. If you're out of water, even if you're almost to the top, it is torture. It is torture. You're just, you would give anything for a drink, right? So this author I really enjoy, he, he shares a story that's exactly that. He and some friends were heading up a mountain. Uh, it was a, a, a good distance. They had their water. They had everything they needed. But they got three quarters of the way up, and they ran out of water. So they were just dying for water, but there was only two more miles to the hike. And so they thought, you know, we can, we can push forward. But that dream of getting to the summit, right, John? Getting to the summit. John's my hiker friend, too. That dream of getting to the summit was just so firm in their mind. We can take our boots off. We can put our feet in the stream. We can drink fresh, cold water. That dream was there. And as they were three-quarters of the way up the mountain, with only two miles left to go, pushing forward, some hikers came up behind them. And they're like the luxury hikers with the big backpacks full of bottled water and granola bars. And these friendly hikers, as hikers often do, uh, gave them their extra water and said, hey, here's some water. Enjoy this. And so 
Uh, I really love the quote. It says, The water tasted good, good as only water tastes when you are tired and dry. It was still good to get back to the camp, but the refreshment had come to meet us before we even finished the walk. That is something like what today's passage is describing. For those who turn from their sins, for those who turn towards Jesus, a time of refreshing comes to them in their lives on earth before they're even finished with their earthly journey. And for some, it is turning from sin and turning towards Jesus. For others, uh, they just need to turn to Jesus because they've, they've taken their eyes off Jesus. They're not doing anything deliberately wrong, but they've taken their eyes off Jesus. They've lost that refreshment that God wants to provide. But for those who repent, which just means turn, turn from sin, turn towards Jesus, look him in the eyes, time of refreshing comes in this journey before we even reach our destination. And that's good news. Uh, this, is, uh, this idea is very parallel to the idea of the reception of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians it says, we receive the Holy Spirit at conversion as a down payment guaranteeing our inheritance. The Holy Spirit is like granola bars and water in your, in your pack before you reach the culmination of all things in heaven. So it's an amazing thing, turning towards God. So we're going to start with our first point. Today is the day to repent of your sins. And it says in verse 19, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Repentance means turning. And I just want to emphasize, according to verse 26 in this passage, you cannot turn from sin in your own power. It says, When God raised up his servant, Jesus, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. It explicitly says we need Jesus to help turn us. Repent. Turn. Uh, When we surrender our lives to Jesus we have the hope of escaping the powerful pull of sin uh, for the first time. Repentance is always turning around from your sin and turning towards Jesus and looking in his eyes. It's as if you are walking thoughtlessly towards the edge of a cliff and you're not even thinking about what's going to happen to you if you go the whole way. You hear a voice behind you. It says, hey, you turn around, you lock eyes with Jesus, and he picks you up and carries you the other direction. That's what repentance looks like. I love this story in, in Mark 10. This is a story about a man that doesn't ultimately repent, at least in this story, though I, I think he repents later. Um, the rich young ruler, just showing you what Jesus is like as we come to him in turn and how he helps us. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Listen to this. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. 
This is how Jesus looks at us when we turn to him. When we turn, when we hear that voice behind us, as we're walking towards the edge of a cliff, walking in sin, uh, walking away from Jesus, as we turn around and hear that voice, that's Jesus. He looks at us in the eyes and he loves us. Jesus loves us. It's not just a kid's song. Jesus loves us. And when we turn just ever so slightly around, Jesus looks at us, loves us, and he will pick us up and carry us where we need to go. You know, we get stuck in patterns and different, different uh, sin problems in our lives and darkness. We get stuck in self-sufficiency. Uh, and we, we begin to start to think that we are, we can do it. We can do it. We can do morality. We can do all of these things on our own. And then we become religious people or people that are just not in need of a savior. But for Christians, for people that are not Christians, we need Jesus. We need him to, first of all, look at us and love us and know that he loves us. And we need to allow him to pick us up and carry us in another direction. Repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. But there's more. It says in the scripture, so that your sins can be wiped out. And this is what Alan talked about in his faith story. According to verse 19, God will actually wipe away your sin from your record. This is an amazing truth. And, and uh, scribes, in Bible times, they wrote on parchment. And it, it was a kind of material that did not absorb the ink. The ink would just sit on top of the parchment and it would dry But if you took a wet cloth and wiped it, more often than not, it would be completely obliterated. And that's another word for wiping sin away. We could say, God obliterates our sin. Does that sound good? When you turn to Jesus, when you look to him in the eye and you allow him to carry you away, he literally obliterates your sin. How how disgusting is the snow when it gets dirt and junk in it and it rains and you see, like, something a dog did in the snow. It's not very pretty. But then, like on Monday, you see that, that snow cover the ground, and all of that stuff is just hidden. It's, it's not even on the record. You just see this beautiful snow. And, and that is how God himself describes what God does. Who better to understand what God does than God himself? And God describes what he does. Let me reason with you. Though your sins are red like scarlet... I will wash them white as snow. That's this idea of God wiping away our sins. He obliterates them. We might remember our sins as we walk. And in fact, I've talked to several people this week who have just recounted to me things that they they remember that are disturbing to them and they just are trying to remember God's grace and his love for them. We remember our sins. But God refuses to when we turn to him. There's this word used for God, and I've said this before. It's a, it's a verb used only for God in the Old Testament, and it means essentially to forget. As far as the east is from the west, when we repent and turn to God, he obliterates our sin. Isn't that good news? He treats us as if we had never sinned. I mean, we, in our human relationships, we break trust with a person. We sin against them, and we, and we ask for forgiveness. But... It takes time. We might forgive. We have to walk out of that forgiveness as people, right? 
I love how Rob Reamer in, in River Dwellers talks about forgiveness among people. And he says, sometimes there's a five-gallon offense we've committed, and we offer a cup of forgiveness. You know, we offer a cup of, you know, I'm sorry. But it's going to take time. For people, it takes time to, to, to wipe out that offense. We, 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 to restore that trust, we forgive, but it takes a long time for us. But the scriptures say that God, he wipes out our sin. He obliterates our sin. That's really good news. He wipes it away, just like Judy's eraser, her magic eraser. What's that called, Alan? Anita. Anita, that eraser. (laughs) These people in this crowd, they are being lumped together with the people that crucified Christ. They may have been in the crowd who was chanting, crucify him. In some way, they supported Jesus being put to death. Peter is saying to them, you were guilty of this, and you're kind of complicit in this, but not, when you turn to Jesus and repent of your sin, not only will that offense be wiped away, which is a pretty bad offense, but all of your other sins as well. In other words, for this Jewish audience, no more Day of Atonement needed. No more sacrifices in the temple needed. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb, and he obliterates your sin. That is good, good news. And he says that the more that they understand this truth, the more they take it to heart, the more spiritual refreshment they will have as people. It says, today, when you repent of your sin, times of refreshing will come from the Lord. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he might send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his prophets. You receive spiritual refreshment as you let the truth of God blotting your sins away go deep into your heart. It's like a cup of water that anticipates the the day to come. You receive times of refreshment as you open your life up to the work of the Holy Spirit. As we repent of our sins, as we turn towards God, we receive all that God has for us. And we see, in part, what will be culminated in the future. I think if Christians really believed this good news about God blotting away their sins, I think we'd spend less time stumbling around in the dark. For most people, they stumble around in the dark because they do something, they feel bad, and then they do that thing again because it makes them feel better at the moment, but then it doesn't really make them feel better, it makes them feel worse. It's a vicious cycle. If we really believed that God blotted out our sin, I think we'd live differently. And I think that this truth of who we are in Christ as forgiven, beloved children is like a, a cup of water on a, on a journey. It anticipates a future restoration. And you see here, it says, heaven must receive Jesus until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. The whole Old Testament, uh, the story of the Jewish people, our, our heritage is the story of, of God sharing this dream of the, of, the, of the future where God sets everything right, where, where injustice is met with God's justice, where sin is wiped out, where all of the evil things that cause heartache and brokenness in our world are done away with. And it says in Revelation that God will join heaven and earth under Christ, and there will be a perfect world for us to live in. And it says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death 
No more crying, no more suffering, and no more pain, because the former things will have passed away. This is the blessed hope of the Jewish people. This is a reaffirmed in Christ. This is our hope. And someday, as has been prophesied through the prophets, Jesus will restore everything. But until that time, as we repent, as we turn from our sin and turn towards Jesus, as our sins are wiped away, as we take these things to heart, times of refreshing come to us. It's like the future coming into the present. It's an amazing thing. It's God's presence and power coming into the presence uh, of our lives and in, our, in the midst of our brokenness. Uh, this afternoon, I get to do one of my very favorite things because I love my mother. Um, I get to go to my parents' house with Olivia and Elias because Jackie has a bunch of things she needs to get done today. I get to go over there, and we get to enjoy spending time with my mom. And she's amazing. I know she listens to these sermons online, and I really have something I wanted for Christmas this year, so. (laughs) I'm only kidding, but uh, my mom is really amazing. I just want to honor her. When we we go to their house, she goes out to the store and buys the special things my kids love to eat. She makes these butterfly toasted cheese sandwiches with, like, antennas and all kinds of stuff. Just super fun stuff. And this is kind of weird, but she spoon-feeds my, my five-year-old daughter. She did when she was younger. So at breakfast time, she's like, Grammy's going to feed me. You know, it's just this hilarious thing. We all laugh about it. Even my mother laughs about it. She's not really that weird or anything. She's just a funny thing she did when she was younger. So Olivia looked forward to it every time they stayed over. So she keeps doing it. And we're looking forward to when Olivia gets married for the... <laughs> for the wedding pictures, we're going to have the photographer take a shot of my mom feeding her. That's going to be awesome. And that's a hard shoes for any husband to fill, um, I'm sure. But, but I love going to my mom's house because it's, it's very relaxing. Uh, my mom is very hospitable. Usually when I go there with the kids, she says, why don't you take a nap? You're probably tired. The kids play and have a great time. I get to take a nap. It's amazing. I have been looking forward to it all morning. And after service, I'm going to get in the car and, and with the kids and drive over there. But just the thought of it is refreshing to me. Just the thought of, of being, being with my family uh, over there is a refreshing thought to me. It's like the future reality is working its way into my consciousness right now. And that's what, that's what this idea is like. God is going to restore everything. There is going to be a time when everything will be done away with and death will be defeated. But until that time, the Holy Spirit, the, the reality of our forgiveness and how God's blotted our sins away and the reality of the party that's coming for those who put their trust in Jesus Christ, the wedding supper of the Lamb, lots of food, lots of fun. It's going to be huge. Um, that thought is such a refreshment to us in our, in our daily lives. And, uh, but many Christians, they just become these folks that don't rely on Jesus anymore. And they, they are walking in a different direction. Even if they're not in, in sin, they're walking away from, from these truths about what God has done in their lives, how he's canceled the debt against them. They walk away from those things. They become self-sufficient. They walk away from these things. And it's just not very refreshing. It's, it's like going halfway up a mountain without any water. Uh, it's, it's brutal. God wants to bring times of refreshing for non-Christians who come to Jesus for the first time and for Christians who just need it. God wants to refresh us in our daily lives. And the, and the free, the, um, 
the key term is surrender. Whether you're a Christian, whether you're not a follower of Christ, we need to surrender our lives to Jesus daily. We need to follow him daily. We need to allow him to carry us daily. We have to rely on his power daily. It's a step-by-step daily walk. And the reality of what God has done and what God will do, it's such a refreshment to our souls. The fourth point, as I mentioned before, if we refuse the invitation to repent and turn from our sins, if we refuse to rely on Jesus in our lives, you know, we have no hope. People that have relied on Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, they believe that Jesus is their Savior, there's security in that. There's full security there. So we're talking here about people that have never put their faith in Jesus Christ, that don't trust him for their salvation, that think that they're going to get to heaven on their own merit. For those people who ignore God's invitation, there's no hope. There's no hope. For it says in verses 22 to 25, and this is quoting Moses from Exodus, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. According to the Bible, there's only one way to be a part of God's people and only one way to be saved from the coming judgment, and that is through a narrow gate named Jesus. The Bible teaches this over and over and over again. And this is not what the world teaches. The world teaches that there are many ways to be saved. Uh, And it's very confusing for us because many people around us are living in a way that looks really good. And we think they're even more righteous than I am. These are really good people. They're very generous people. They're good people in our estimation. But these people need Jesus to be saved. There's only one way to get to God, and that's through Jesus. It says in scriptures that our righteousness is like filthy rags. So the very best of what you know and see in the world, compared to the righteousness of God, it says filthy rags. There is an expanse between us and God because of sin, which we are born into, which makes it impossible for us to be saved apart from Jesus Christ looking at his sacrifice through faith. It says in the Bible we were born in sin and that we are dead in our sin, which is really hopeless. That's a hopeless place to be. We're dead in our sins, and that we are by nature, because of our sinful nature, objects of wrath. We are, we are people that just are living on borrowed time apart from Jesus. Um, we self-assess as being good people. We, we assess other people as being good people. But there is only one name under heaven by which men can be saved and women can be saved and children can be saved, and that's through the name of Jesus Christ, as it says in Acts 1. Jesus Christ is, is the uh, narrow gate for the sheep. We can't get into the sheepfold by climbing over the fence. That's one of the parables Jesus told. We can't get to the wedding banquet by sneaking in because everyone will see that we're not wearing the right clothes. The clothes are the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And when we look to Jesus Christ in faith and believe that he's covered our sins, not only are our sins wiped away by God through Jesus, we receive the righteousness of Christ himself. So it's as if when God looks at my life, he doesn't see my sin, but he sees the righteousness of Jesus when he looks down at me. God is not unduly harsh with people and humanity. It's that we are unduly proud 
And when it comes right down to it, we don't believe that we need Jesus to be saved many times, and other people don't believe they need Jesus to be saved. I'm telling you, the, the consistent truth of the Bible, of the New Testament, we need Jesus from the best of us to the worst of us. One thing I love about the gospel is that it's, it levels the playing field. We don't have the super Christians, the pastors, the, the, uh, and, and whoever else we might put in this category, and then these other people that are just groveling along. We are all equally humbled by Jesus, from the richest to the poorest, from the most wicked to the most righteous. We all need Jesus. And I love it because talk about a truth that could actually bring unity in this world. Think about all the wickedness in this world. Racism, classism, sexism, everythingism. If all of us were acknowledging that we need a Savior, Jesus Christ, how much would that humble us? How much could we actually have true unity with other people? This is the truth the world does not want to accept in general because the world assesses itself as being a pretty good person. But it's a truth that if it was received, I believe, could actually bring peace to the earth, that we need Jesus. All of us need Jesus. We're all equally in need of Jesus. And God is not harsh. In fact, you know, God delays the culmination of his kingdom. It says in the Bible because he wants more people to come to repentance. He wants as many people as possible to receive his free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. That's uh, a beautiful thing. And the purpose of God saving us through Jesus is not for us alone. It says in this passage that even for us, God wants to use our lives to bless others in this world with the good news. It says in Acts 3.24, Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. When he said to Abraham, Through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. Offspring is synonymous with um, nations. So from the Hebrew to the Greek, this is a synonymous word, which means in Matthew 28, when it talks about the Great Commission of us making disciples of all nations, this is the same concept as, as, as was said in the Old Testament. They call this the Old Testament Great Commission, that God is looking for a people for himself, and he wants to take these people, blot out their sins, fill them with the Holy Spirit, and then use them, even them, even the worst of them, perhaps many times, especially the worst of them, <laughs> to advance his kingdom and the good news. Because those who have been forgiven much, love much. Those who have been forgiven little, love little. God uses the unlikely things of this world to confound the wise. So God didn't save us just for ourselves. He saved us so we could share this message with everyone that we come into contact with. And you you think about the Apostle Paul. He was a murderer. He killed Christians routinely. He was very zealous and he, dra- he found Christian churches and dragged people out and approved of their deaths. And even, uh, even Stephen, even Stephen, he didn't plan that. Even Stephen, who was this amazing saint in, in the book of Acts, which Paul plays a prominent part in, as we'll see later on, Paul gave approval to his death, this righteous man. It was as if Paul crucified the Lord of glory over and over again through how he lived. And God saved him. Paul turned from his sin. He repented, turned towards Jesus. And Paul was used to spread this news more than anyone else 
probably, definitely before him, probably after him. Most of our New Testament was written by Paul. God didn't save us and blot out our sins just for us alone, but so that through us, all of the nations of the earth should be blessed. Every people group, every person, every category, as humble people who have been forgiven, God wants to use us to bless the world. I'd like to invite the worship band forward to lead us in a closing song. And I'd like uh, to offer some ways that you can respond to this message, which I think is such a great message. The first one is, if you have a need to turn today, come forward and present yourself to God. Now, that doesn't mean just turning from sin, though usually it does, right? But it could just mean that you've lost sight of keeping your eyes on Christ, and you need to turn just towards Jesus and say, you know, I need a time of refreshing. I need to be reminded that you've blotted out my sins. So if you'd like to respond by turning towards Christ for the first time, you've never met with him before, you've never become uh, saved through Jesus Christ, as we've talked about today, present yourself to God. And if you just want to reestablish your life with God, um, come forward. I also uh, would like people that feel a deep sense that they are exhausted, running on fumes, and they just need a time of refreshment from the Lord. We have prayed this morning that the Holy Spirit would refresh people today. And we all need refreshment in the journey. We usually don't realize how depleted we are until we've really hit the bottom. But if you really think about it, do you feel the joy of the Lord in your heart? Do you feel a peace with God? Maybe you just need a touch from the Holy Spirit this morning. And I would, I would say, come forward, present yourself to God, and just pray up here with us. And then thirdly, God wants to use you to bless the world, even you. He used Paul. He can use you. Uh, this is the basis of me being a pastor at a church. I believe that, that God can use anybody. So God can even use me. And that's really how I feel about it. We're not special. We're not, um, we don't have a special anything about us. But God wants to use each of us to bless the whole world with the good news of Jesus Christ. So if you'd like to present yourself to God just to reaffirm your desire to to be a part of that, come forward during the worship song. If God's speaking to you in any of these areas, just present yourselves to God. I I think it's such a great thing to just open up the front for people to come and just, just worship and praise God together and to present themselves before him and say, God, I surrender. I need more of you. So if you have that need and desire and God's calling you, come forward. Please join us in song. Let me bless you as we go. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I bless you that you might be filled to all the measure and fullness of God through the Holy Spirit which is within you that you might be spiritually refreshed and receive a taste of what is to come through the work of the Holy Spirit within you, that you might be ambassadors for Christ to everyone in your sphere of influence, that many would see, taste, and hear that the Lord is good through you. I bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.